This is Jude 1. We're normally in the book of Acts, and we're going to kick off in Acts 5 next week, Lord willing. But we're going to do a little introduction into Acts chapter 5. And the topic is about money. Money. I have to tell you guys, you know, uh, the Lord didn't call me to teach you about finances. The Lord did not call me to, you know, make you savvy investors or traders. The Lord did not call me to do that. He called me to teach his word. But I will say a little commentary about personal finance. And my little pre-study commentary about personal finance is to live within your means. Make sure your lifestyle is within your means. If you're living on 100% of your income, that's not good. If you're living on 90% of your income, that's not good. If you're living on 80%, it's better. But strive to live on 70%, even 60%. You say, whoa, that's impossible. No, it's not. It's not so you can go out and buy all these toys. It's part of personal finance. Live within your means. I don't care if you make 50000 a year. I don't care if you make 50000 a month. I don't care if you make 50000 a day. And yes, Liz and I know people that make 50000 a day. Producers of movies that you have seen. We don't travel much. We don't travel much because, largely because of this fellowship. I don't say that as an attack on the fellowship. But I say that to testify of these things. There are people who make more than $50,000 a day. They don't live here. They don't live around here. They live in other places. And even they have problems living within their means. You say like, well, I can't believe it. Well, that's the truth. We were uh, invitees once of this uh, club. That the annual fee to belong to this club was $250,000. Probably more now. $250,000 annual fee. I mean, there's golf clubs here locally where it's like, you know, you pay $20,000 a year to belong to the club. $40,000 a year, $50,000. But where we were at, it was $250,000. And it's not, you know, yeah, it was a nice place. It was fancy. But it's basically to keep out the riffraff, so to speak. So these people, wealthy people, can go out and golf, you know, have a meal by themselves, not worry about pictures, photographers all over the place. But these are personal finance. That's, it's very important to live within your means. Wealthy people even need to live within their means. But this world has wealthy people. This world has poor people. And, you know, when you think about a poor person, there's already somebody who's poorer than that person. You think about a wealthy person, there's somebody who's even more wealthy than that person. Yes, money is a means by which we can buy groceries, we can put food on the table, we can pay, 
you know, um, insurance, you can pay for a house, you can pay for all these things, but don't let it own you. I would love to teach people about, you know, personal finance, investing, trading. I would love it. But the Lord didn't call me to do that. What I cannot teach is how to deny money. I cannot teach that. The Lord can. How to deny money. But it's such a trip because, you know, like if you're hard up for groceries and somebody gives you $200, you're like, wow, thank you, Lord. You know, and you thank you to the person. You thank you, to the, you know, thank you, Lord. I've been praying for this. But then what happens if somebody gives you $200 to pay for groceries and it's like, you know, by the sweat of his or her brow and they give, they bless you. But then what if, you know, the person who's giving you $200 is a pimp and he makes his money, you know, by a dark trade. Will you still take that money? Eh, it's just 200 bucks. No big deal. I'm not going to take it. But the Bible does speak about filthy lucre, dirty money, dirty in the eyes of the Lord. It's very, very difficult in this age of investing. It's so easy to, to make money. But where is it where the clean money is? Dirty money? I don't want it. Yeah, you could make a lot of money in this trade. You take some money, you know, put $10,000 in this stock, put $5,000 in this stock, you can make a grip of money. But the profit is dirty. The profit is filthy. Yeah, you can go out and buy a boat. You can buy a yacht. But it's dirty money. And the Bible has something to say about that. The Word of God has something to say about it. Remember, this is an introduction into Acts 5. So let's look at Jude 1. There's only one chapter. Jude 1, verse 10. Jude 1, verse 10. But at the end, we're going to start at the end. They corrupt themselves. So I told you we're going to start at the end. They corrupt themselves. You say, who are these they that are being spoken of here in the book of Jude? I'll tell you. Verse 4 says, people who crept in unnoticed. They are inside the church. Inside the church. They've crept in unnoticed. Verse 4 also says that they are ungodly, lewd, deniers of Jesus. Verse 8 says they are dreamers. It translates as filthy dreamers, defilers, rejecters of authority. Verse 10 says they are brute beasts, corruptors of self. Verse 11 says they are greedy for profit. Verse 12 says they have no fear of God, serving only themselves. Verse 16 says they are grumblers, complainers, lustful. Verse 18 says they are mockers. Verse 9 says they are sensual, which translates as worldly-minded. Verse 19 also says that they are divisive, not having the Spirit. And Brother Jude writes about these people who are inside the church. Apostates. Apostates. 
So he says here in, cha- in chapter 1, verse 10, he says, they corrupt themselves. It's a self-inflicted wound. That's what happens when God is self, when God is me. Who is the one who sits on the throne of your heart? If it's Jesus Christ, praise be to the Lord. If it's self, what I urge is get off that throne. And I tell you from experience, I sat on the throne of my heart and the Lord humbled me. The Lord humbled me. He says this in verse 11. Woe to them, exclamation point. Woe to them. For they have gone in the way of Cain. Gone in the way of Cain. Have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit. And perished in the rebellion of Korah. You say, wait a second. They have gone the way of Cain. Running greedily in error for profit? In Genesis 4, verse 8, you don't have to turn there. But in Genesis 4, verse 8, it has the historical fact that Cain killed his brother Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel. Also in Genesis 4, verse 5, It is revealed that God did not look favorably on Cain's offering. Remember, Cain and Abel both had an offering to the Lord. But God didn't like Cain's offering. (coughs) Say, what are you talking about? God didn't like Cain's offering? Well, in Hebrews 11 verse 4, it's revealed that Cain's offering to God was worse was worse it is also revealed in first john chapter 3 verse 12 that cain's actions were evil cain's actions were evil giving unto the lord has nothing to do with money absolutely nothing to do with money It has everything to do with the heart. Everything to do with the heart, 100%. It's a matter of the heart. People think it's about a matter of the wallet. It's not a matter of the wallet. It's a matter of the heart. Is it about the money? Not at all. It's such a trip because it's like, You know, somebody gives you that 200 in that example, 200 bucks. I'm hard up for groceries. I I, I need to fill up my fridge. My fridge is empty. All I have in there is a jar of pickles and a can of Coke. That's all I got. Somebody gives you $200. By the sweat of his or her brow, they earn this $200. And then they bless you and give it to you. But then what if that person is a pimp? Will you still take that money? What if that person is a drug dealer? 
selling drugs, you know, selling prescription drugs. Oh, you need $200? Pulls out this big fat, you know, roll of bills from his pocket. Street money. Dirty money. Some of it made from pimping out girls. Some of it made from selling meth. Some of it made from quaaludes. Selling the prescriptions. Will you still take it? It's dirty money. It's not about the money at all. It's about the heart. And that's the Lord had an issue with Cain. He didn't look favorably on Cain's offering at all. When you read the passages of Genesis, it's like, whoa, this is wild. You think like, whoa, this is hardcore. The, like what the Lord did with Cain. Why did he do it? It leaves a lot of questions. I love questions in the Bible so much. You read the Bible and you're like, man, I wonder if you ever have questions in the Bible, take a little notepad and write your question down and keep reading because you know what's going to happen? The Lord is going to answer you. So you have all these questions. Why didn't, the, why didn't the Lord like Cain's offering? Remember, Cain killed his brother. And you take a little notepad. You know, why did God not look favorably on Cain's offering? Question mark. And you keep reading. In the course of time, you're going to hit Hebrews 11 verse 4. Cain's offering to God was worse. In the course of time, you're going to hit 1 John chapter 3 verse 12. Cain's actions were evil. Remember, the Lord looks at the heart. He doesn't care about the money. He cares not about the money. And in verse 11 here, Brother Jude is saying, Woe to them. Who? The corruptors of self. Remember, Verse 11, what we're reading here says, For they have gone the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts. These are hardcore words. You say spots, I don't get it. It translates as stains or hidden reefs, blemishes. Remember, like, you know, you take a pure lamb and offer it to the Lord. It has to be pure, the best of your flock, the cream of your crop. But what happens when the Lord finds impurities? What happens when you present him with these, you know, mangled sheep? Oh, it doesn't mean anything to me. You know, that's what the church did. That's what the Jews did. Dirty. And the Lord doesn't like it in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We're going to read that more in Acts 5 next week, Lord willing. We're going to read that more. So many times people think, oh, you know what? It's not. I don't want to open up my wallet. It's not about the wallet. I say open up your heart. Open up your heart. And Brother Jude says, you know what, you guys? You know what, church? These people, they are blemishes in your love feasts, in the church body. People who do these things, people who behave like this, people who have taken on these attributes, they're blemishes in the body of Christ. 
while they feast with you without fear. Remember, they're inside the church. No fear of the Lord, without fear, serving only themselves. Selfishness. My will, my way. This is my wallet. This is my life. This throne that's in my heart, it is mine. I'm going to sit on this throne. You know, so many times, I'm not going to say names, but there were people, you know, in a fellowship. This hole isn't big enough, so if you hear that, it's, it's not me. It's the cup. Really, it is. But there were people in a, in a fellowship that were held in high esteem because they took on foster kids. Wow, look at these people, you know, they took on these foster kids and look how loving they are. They open up their home and they receive the accolades of men. Good job, you guys. Wow, look at what the Lord is doing here. And then I have a separate conversation with the man. And the kids were getting older, about ready to leave the home. And he was worried. He says, Jay, I'm worried. Well, don't, don't worry. You know, they've, they've been training the Lord. You know, you've been training them in the Lord. And, and you know, now they're going to go out, college, do whatever. It's kind of like it's, you gotta, you're going to find out if, you know, whatever you taught them was, you know, if it's stuck. But he told me, no, I'm not worried about that. I'm worried because I'm not going to get a paycheck anymore. I got money for these foster kids. Every month they gave me X amount of dollars. And I remember when they were little, I didn't want to take them in. I didn't want to bring them in. But then once they said I can get this money, we took them in. And then I do my taxes and I can claim them as dependents. And now I can't do any of that anymore. What am I going to do? It's like, whoa. Was this the motivation behind it in the beginning? If you would get no money, would you still have taken them in? Nope. Whoa. See, people see with their eyes. Oh, look how godly these people are. But no, the Lord looks at the heart. And Jude is saying, you know what? These are spots in your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. It's selfishness. You know, yeah, I'll take this kid in. But the foster, you know, the whatever, they're going to send me money. You know, 300 bucks a kid each month. But if I go to this organization, I'm going to get 500 bucks a month for these kids, each kid. So yeah, I'll take in all these kids. Why, why would I have to work? There's this other organization, you know, they give me 700 bucks a month per kid. So yeah, I'll take in these foster kids. And on top of that, I get to claim them as my dependents. Wow, I'm rolling in the dough. Selfishness. They are clouds without water. Brother Jude is writing about these people. They are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead. 
pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame. We live in a shameless world. Women dressed like, I don't even want to say what they dress like, but they have no shame. Little tiny outfits. They speak worldly, no shame. Men in the church who gawk at that. No shame. Married men. No shame. And then the young boys see their dad behaving like an idiot. Oh, I'm going to be just like my dad. And it's the cycle keeps going. But who in the home is going to put their stake in the ground and say, hey, not on my watch. I'm going to serve the Lord. Look at these beautiful, look at beautiful Jude. The things that he's saying to the church. Raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame. Wandering stars for whom is reserved the, reserved the blackness of darkness forever. I don't think Jude would be well received by the church today. Can you imagine if, you know, a big church, the pastor says, hey, we got this guy, you know, he's from the past. He went in his time machine and, you know, we picked him up and, you know, here he is. What's his name? It's Jude. He wrote the book of Jude. Let's hear what he has to say. And then all of a sudden he starts saying these things to the church. They would boot him out of there so fast. How dare you speak about me? How dare you call me a blemish? Remember, Brother Jude, he wanted, you look at verse 3, he wanted to write to the church about the common salvation. But the Holy Spirit changed it. He said, I found it necessary to write. He said, concerning, uh, while I was very diligent to write you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. And then he starts to teach about these false teachers. These people who have crept in unnoticed. These brute beasts, these corruptors of self. You say, whoa, 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 those words are too harsh. Look at verse 20. Actually, look at verse 17. But you, beloved. And that's what I say to everybody here, to those who have ears. Honestly, truth be told, I don't know who's on the throne. Of all the hearts that are here, I don't know who's on the throne. I pray it's the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's between you and me. <laughs> Work out your own salvation with godly fear. And I don't say that, you know, uh, jovially. But really, it's not my call. Which one applies to you? You know, verse 10, the corruptors of self. Verse 11, woe to them. Or verse 17, but you, beloved. Which one applies? If verse 10 and 11 apply to you, I say, get off the throne of your heart. Get off the throne of your heart and repent. And receive the Lord. 
Verse 17, but you, beloved, remember the words which are spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Does that remind you of the church today? It does me. I could tell you things about the sheep. And I could tell you things about the shepherds, the so-called shepherds. Things that would make you vomit. A lot of sex. A lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol. But I don't want to rock your faith, so I don't. In verse 19 says, these are sensual persons, translates as worldly minded. And looking at the physical only. There are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. I've been told before. Just like you read verse 19, Jay, you know, these are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. You cause division. You are divisive when you say that. That's what they tell me. And you know what? I have to admit I am divisive. I am divisive. I'm not going to hide it from anybody. I'm not going to shield it from anybody. I'm very divisive. But if you remember what Romans 16 says, Romans 16 verse 17, Paul writes to the church in Rome, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. So, yeah, I admit I'm divisive. But it begs the question, whose side are you on? Whose side? Are you saying, Jay, that, you know, if I'm with you, then I'm with the Lord? No, not at all. I'm saying, stand with me on the rock of salvation. Stand with me on the word of God. You're going this way. I'm not going to go that way. But here, hold my hand and let me pull you over here. You're so divisive. Yeah, I'm divisive. But I'm just a messenger. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our King himself said... Do not think that I came to bring peace. I came to divide. Remember, wheat and tares growing together until the harvest. Until the harvest. Verse 20 of Jude 1 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. You know, it's possible, you know, when you read, um, you hear me refer to Luke 8 every now and then about, you know, where the seed goes in somebody's heart. But in Luke 8, verse 14, it is revealed by our Lord himself. He says, now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. That's, that's what happens with your seeds. 
Remember, the seed is the word of God, as the Lord tells us in verse 11. And the word of God goes in somebody's heart. And they hear it and they, something happens. They start to think about the world. The cares and riches and pleasures of life. And no fruit comes to maturity. A bunch of babies. Spiritually speaking, babies. Christians on milk. And babies, you know, babies are beautiful. They have their, you know, diet of milk. But what happens when, you know, you take a 30-year-old male, 30-year-old female with a bottle and diapers. It's disgusting. Arrested development, and you have that in the church today. No maturity. And I tell you the truth, we're not living in days to play around. We're not living in days where it's okay to play around. If you play around, you do so at your own peril. Myself included. If we play around, we do so at our own peril. Don't play around with the Lord. This is what happened with Paul. When you look at uh, uh, 2 Timothy Chapter 4, verse 10, verse 9. Be diligent to come to me quickly. Remember, he's writing to young Timothy. He says in verse 10 of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. In the book of Acts, we're going to see this guy, Demas. And you're like, wow, this is so beautiful. He's part of Paul's entourage. He's with Paul. Remember in Acts 20, I've referenced it before, but we're going to get there eventually. Paul starts to weep. He starts to cry. And they're like, Paul, what's the matter? Why are you crying? Why are you so sad? And then he tells them, you know what? When I leave, ravenous wolves are going to come from among you. Demas forsook him, having loved this present world. And has departed for Thessalonica. You see, he went back to the world. That's the danger for all of us. That's the danger for all of us. So now, turn with me to Amos chapter 4. Or, yeah, Amos chapter 4. Amos chapter 4. Remember, today's study is an introduction to Acts 5. Now, I'm going to chop up verse 4 and 5 really quick. So if you go like in the middle of uh, Amos 4, uh, verse 4. But look in the middle where he says, bring your sacrifices every morning. Okay, that's where we're going to start. This is what he says. Bring your sacrifices every morning. Your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and stop right there. You read what I just said. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and stop right there. You say, wow, that's so beautiful. That's like what the Lord, the blueprint that God is giving Moses on, on top of the mountain, what we're studying in, on Wednesdays. 
in Exodus 28, 29, 30. But Moses is going to come down from the mountain and see something totally different pretty soon in a couple more chapters. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgivings, your tithes, give them to the Lord, your sacrifices. But look at verse four now, verse, you know, the beginning of verse four. Come to Bethel, translates as house of God, Bethel. Genesis 28, you know, we've studied this before. So this is like a little refresher course. You know, you go to Starbucks and you get a little mocha. But if you don't drink it, all this stuff goes to the bottom. So all I'm doing is I'm stirring the cup of your heart because I know we've studied this. In Genesis 28, there's a city called Luz, L-U-Z. And it was Jacob who renamed the city to Bethel, house of God. And he erected a stone pillar. It's the first tithe in the Bible. He named it God's house. The first tithe in the Bible. 10%. Come to Bethel and transgress. Remember, this is what the Lord is seeing. What happened to Bethel? Just like we studied on Wednesday. What happened? When the Lord starts to say, hey, I don't want your sacrifices anymore. I'm not going to hear your prayers anymore. To husbands, he says, I'm not going to hear your prayers anymore because I have been witness. You think nobody's watching. Nobody's watching, you know. I turn off my phone. Phone's not going to hear me. I unplug the little devices. Then nobody's going to hear me. Nobody's on the phone. Everything's off. And I'm going to be a jerk to my wife. And the Bible says, I have been witness. I have been witness. And how you treat the wife of your youth. Read Malachi. You're going to treat your wife that way? Okay. Okay. I'm not going to hear your prayers anymore. I'm not going to listen to your prayers. You pray, pray to a wall. It's better for you to pray to a wall. I don't know. You know, sometimes a lot of husbands are like, wow, wife has to submit to me. Wife submit to my authority. I kind of think the wife has a better deal than the men. Because the Lord is going to hold us to account. Big time. You have dealt treacherously with the wife of your youth. You talk to old people. You know, I'm in my 40s. I feel old. I feel like I'm 90. But one day I'm going to hit 70. I'll probably be dead. Hopefully I'll be dead. I'll hit 70 one day. And if I'm a jerk to my wife, if I beat on my wife, if I cheat on my wife, I have been witness. You think nobody's watching. The eyes of the Lord, he sees everything. Because you have dealt treacherously with the wife of your youth. 
The Lord knows all these things. The Lord remembers. You know, we forget. We're, we're the carnal. We're the clay. But he remembers. Remember the promise to Abraham? The promise was made to Abraham, but the Lord put Abraham to sleep. And I love that so much. Because it's the promise of God. Abraham was asleep. Showing the faithlessness of the carnal. But the faithfulness of the Lord. Come to Bethel, house of the Lord. Genesis 28, it's so beautiful what Jacob, you know, he renames everything, dedicates it to the Lord, and he ties first tithe in the Bible. But here in verse 4 says, and transgress. What happened? At Gilgal, multiply. You're like, whoa, this is so cool. Gilgal, in Joshua chapter 4, it's when they crossed the Jordan River, and he plants these stones of remembrance unto the Lord. And now the Lord is saying here at Gilgal, multiply transgression. What happened? Look at the universities in America. The very, very inception of these universities. And you have these theologians who come together. We want to have a, a, a Christian education, classical Christian education. Judeo-Christian values. You look at the first decade of these major universities and a lot of them it's so beautiful look at university today a breeding ground of liberal thought breeding i mean you know you have these christian men christian you know men christian women young ones they go they go and leave high school leave home go to college they come back and they're like hardcore feminists. The men too. Beta males is what I call them. They come back and they've been feminized. They hate Israel. They're poor abortion. That's what I mean when I say, look what happened to university. The same thing happened here in the word of God. Bethel, Genesis, Joshua, so beautiful. But what happened? The people bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. Not a good thing. Dirty money. Yeah, go ahead. Bring your tithes. Oh, what's that? You're a pimp? You gave a hundred bucks to the church. You gave five thousand dollars to the church. Oh, but you're a pimp? Take your money. Get out of here. The Lord doesn't want your money. Your money is dirty. Oh, you're going to drop 500 bucks in? Oh, you sell meth? You sell your crack? You sell whatever? Dirty money. Get out of here. That's what the Lord is saying here. Remember, it's not about the wallet. It's about the heart. 100% about the heart. Proclaim and announce the free will offerings. For this you love, you children of Israel, says the Lord God. This is what the people were doing. They liked it. 
Come on, come on, come to Bethel. What's that? You're a homosexual? No big deal. What's that? You're beating on your wife? You're cheating on your wife? No big deal. Come on, come to Bethel. What's that? You're a stripper? You're greedy for money? You can't go get a job, so you're going to go and sell your body? No big deal. Come on, come on in. Oh, you're going to give a $1,000 check to the church? Wow, that's so cool. Look at the Lord is blessing us. Oh, that's what you made, you know, dancing on Friday night? Oh, wow, praise the Lord. That's what's happening in the church. And the Lord is saying here, For this you love, you children of Israel, says the Lord God. Also, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. It's the Lord who gives them hunger. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. You know, the Lord desires oneness with you and with me. And remember, he's jealous. I'm a jealous husband. I'm a very jealous husband. You know, I love my wife to death. I love her to death. And you know, I'm very jealous too. Very few things will invoke violence in me. One of them is if somebody gets fresh with my bride. Another is against pastors <laughs> and elders who are false shepherds. Those are the two things that really set me off. There's some other ones, but, you know, I won't tell you guys. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. This is what he says in verse 7. I also withheld rain from you. When there, was, when there were still three months to the harvest, I made it rain on one city. I withheld rain from another city. So one city was getting rain for their, you know, their uh, harvest, for their plants and for their veggies and all these things. But the other city was getting nothing. And it was from the Lord. The Lord was doing it. And where it did not rain, the part withered. Naturally. No rain, everything dies. Remember, the rain was withheld by the Lord. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water. It's so Verse 8 kills me. Because say, for example, if we're all farmers and we all live in the place where it's like it's drought, there's no rain. The rain is coming over here and the rain isn't coming over here and it's drought. All our farms, we're just toast. All our assets, toast. We dumped everything here. We're doing all our efforts. Everything is just toast. We're also hungry because the Lord has given us cleanness of teeth. And instead of falling to our knees and saying, Lord, forgive me, I repent. Lord, forgive the work of my hands. I've been seeking after these things. Lord, there's sin in my home. You know, I repent. Instead of doing that, we go, no. The rain's over here, so let's move. Let's go over here and let's go where the rain is. Instead of seeking the Lord, they seek the water. I'll put it in other terms. Instead of seeking the Lord, 
People seek money. Well, how can I get more money? How can I get more money? And they'll go through, they'll do stupid things. An 18-year-old girl doesn't want to work. So she'll go out and strip, dance on the weekends. Liz was having a conversation. You know, we, we, we were at a, a fancy car dealership one time. And the lady was talking, you know. she Because, you know, I dress like a bum. I know I dress like a bum. So she was kind of like tripping out. <laughs> but she was saying, you know, you guys are weird. You know, not like that, but you know that's how I interpret it. But I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't take offense because I know we're weird. But you know, she's like, and you guys are so weird, you know, because you know we get business people, and you know, you guys don't even look like business people. But then, like, you know, we get a lot of strippers too, and they come and they pay cash for their cars. It's like, wow, it's so weird. And sometimes people come in, they're dressed like a G, you know. It's like they don't even ask what kind of business they're in. They just, you know, sell the car. And it's such a trip because it's like, it blows me away because, you know, so many times people seek the money. How do I make more money? It's so easy to make money. So easy. People go to college and they're like, I want a good job. I want to be a doctor. I want to make, you know, six figures. So I'm going to go out, you know, spend $80,000, spend four years, five years, six years, seven years, do all this thing. It's a waste of time. People get into major debt. You know, 18-year-old boy. Sometimes, you know, they'll strip too. And I know I'm speaking about very carnal, gritty things, but it's the world we live in. I'm not trying to make excuse for the vernacular, but it's true. 18-year-old boy, I don't want to work. My parents never taught me how to work the value of work, the value of labor. I've never been taught. And you know what? I want easy money, so what am I going to do? I'm going to go out and contact this guy. He's going to give me these nice shipments from Chiapas, Mexico. And I'm going to go out and put some stuff in my pocket, put some baggies in my other pocket, and I'm going to go on the street and I'm going to sell. That's what they do. You see these young kids with the fancy phones. You know, nice clothes. Sometimes you have the dumb parents that bought it for them. But sometimes they bought it themselves with dirty money. Little girls who pimp themselves out for money. High school boys who are pimps. Pimping out high school girls. Pimping out junior high age girls. Near Discovery Middle School. A lot of junior high age prostitutes, boys and girls in Vancouver, Washington. Money. That's what it is. They want money. Same thing here. Instead of falling to our knees and seeking the Lord, we say, no, we want to follow the rain. I need to restore my crop. Instead of Taking yourself off this throne in your heart 
and getting off of that throne and saying, Lord, come into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord. Look at verse 8. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Instead of returning to God, they wander city to city. Have you ever seen people wander? Spiritually speaking, they wander. What is it that you're seeking? Why is it that you're wandering? It doesn't have to be that way. You wander aimlessly through the wilderness. Metaphysically, city to city. You need the Lord. You need Jesus Christ. Just like the woman at the well in John 4. He says, you know, I have this water that if you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. You have these brainiac Brainiac theologians who would say, oh, that was for that dispensation. No, it's for today. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He also says, I blasted you with blight and mildew, or I struck you with blight and mildew. It's plant disease. Imagine we're all, you know, we all have the uh, fl- or, uh, like plants. That was like our livelihood. We were farmers. Talk with a farmer. See what happens when like disease comes on the plants. Or like if there's a hurricane, you know, in Florida. Look at all the the farmers in in, uh, like Alabama and Georgia. The cotton fields. Look what happens with the peaches, the oranges. It's a major hit to the farmers. And here in verse 9 says, I blasted you with blight and mildew. When your gardens increased, you see like, wow, success. Look, it's, I'm getting, everything's growing. Everything's fine. Your vineyards, your fig trees. Wow, look, we're blessed of the Lord. Wow, look how awesome we are. And your olive trees, the locusts devoured them. You see? Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. In Haggai 1. It says people earn wages. They put all these money, put all this money. They go out and they want money. They seek money. Oh, how can I make more money? How can I make more profits? They put all this money in their purses, in their bags. And the Lord says, you know what? I'm going to put a hole in the bottom of your bag. Because my house is in ruins. A bag with holes. Say, wow, the Lord wants me poor. I guess you could say, yes, he wants you poor. He wants us poor in spirit. Because we seek on the Lord. It's not about the money. God's economy is totally, completely unlike the world's economy. The world's economy, it's garbage. I could teach you how to navigate in the world's economy. The Lord didn't call me to do that. He called me to teach you his word. Remember, only God and about two or three guys could really get my attention. He says, Jay, teach my word. I say, okay, Lord. 
Okay, Lord. It's not about the wallet. It's about the heart. You know, I know wealthy people who say, you know, it's a lot better to be poor. It's like in joking in jazz. It's, man, I wish I was working at McDonald's. Because, you know, you go and clock in. I don't know how you do it now. That's back in my day, we used to clock in. You know, you go and clock in, do your work, you clock out, and you're done. <laughs> you don't have to worry. You know, the big, high-class attorneys, very cutthroat, very, very cutthroat. You have a client, you make a lot of money from a client, and they can leave you in a heartbeat. They send you an email, you know, Saturday at midnight. You have to respond in about five or ten minutes. Very, like, high-level attorneys. Big shots. Suit and tie every day. But the stakes are high. And these wealthy people, man, you know, joking around. Man, I wish I was working at McDonald's. I wish I was flipping burgers. Because it's like, man, you just go flip the burger. Clock out, go home. It's nice. And it blows me away so much, but it's not about the heart. When I say, you know, it's not about the heart, turn with me to Luke chapter 16. Luke 16. I have to warn you guys too, if you know, I have to pause this. So in Luke 16, verse 19. Red letters in my Bible. Our Lord, our King, our Savior. The King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Such a trip. It's like, you know, he's going to sit on the throne one day. He's like the King of the world. And Satan doesn't want that to happen. It's going to happen. But Satan doesn't want that to happen. But. This is what he tells us. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Luxurious living. Purple is a clothing of rich people. The color because it's like, you know, it wasn't in this particular area. They'd have to go out and, you know, people would have to go out and travel great distances to get this dye and, you know, buy these fabrics And then come back and import them into the land. Only the rich people could do it. Kind of like the uh, uh, um, the uh, the quote unquote essential oils. (laughs) Remember the essential oils that that were from like the Himalayas. And Judas was like, you know, wow, you're wasting all this 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 oil, this scented oil. And Jesus was like, no, you know, she's preparing me for my death. But she was a wealthy person who loved the Lord. You know, only wealthy people could have this essential oil from the Himalayas. But here you have this rich guy. Clothed in purple and fine linen. In these days, you know, you might wear like a little, you know, a cloth, some type of robe or whatever. But then you see this person walking down the street in purple and fine linen. You know, whoa, this guy's loaded. This guy is loaded. And he fared sumptuously every day, luxurious living. Verse 20. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. 
a certain beggar named Lazarus. You know what's interesting? Because according to the world, this rich man's name would have been known. But according to God, the poor man's name is known. Lazarus. What's the rich guy's name? We don't know his name. But we know the name of Lazarus. God's economy is totally different from the world. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate. You know, I have to admit, you know, he's kind of, as much as I love Lazarus, picture that. In your mind's eye, picture this guy, Lazarus, a poor guy, a beggar, full of sores. In my heart of hearts, I have to ask, like, would I even say hello to this guy? Would I even sit next to him? And I say that to my shame. God's economy is way different from this world's economy. Full of source who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. I don't want to lord over anybody's faith at all in any way, shape, or form. But every time you wipe the table after a meal, you know, like you have dinner and, the, you know, and at the end of dinner, you know, you put the dishes away and there's the crumbs on the table. Every time you wipe the table and you co- the crumbs collect, remember Lazarus. Remember Lazarus. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. You know, I have to admit this isn't a pretty picture at all. At all. With carnal eyes, it's not a pretty picture. A poor beggar with sores and the dogs are coming to lick him up now. Verse 22, so it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. See, now it's a totally different ballgame in eternity. The rich man also died and was buried. So both are dead now. Abraham, or, or, uh, uh, well, Abraham, you know, he, he's in Abraham's bosom. But as the, the beggar is dead now, and then the rich man is dead now. Now, what the Lord does, God gives us a picture of reality. The real reality. Currently, it's unseen. Currently, we have to accept these things by faith. But the Lord still gives us a picture of reality. A little, you know, truth pill. Verse 23, and being in torments in Hades, speaking about the rich man, hell is how it translates. And there are Protestant teachers, pastors in Vancouver, Washington, pastors whom you know, who say this hell spoken of here in verse 23 is a fictitious place because they are followers of what the Pope says, that hell is a fictitious place. These are false teachers. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. This is a complete reversal of fortunes. Look at how it was on earth. Now look how it is in reality. You say, what do you mean reality? Look at the I can touch these things. This is the physical. This is the I have the seat. I have this chair. I can touch the chair. 
Yeah, I know. But don't forget, those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, there's another reality. The real reality that you can only see by faith. Then he cried, this is Abraham, or uh, uh, the rich guy now. He says, then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. So you have these pastors, Protestant teachers, the Pope who says hell is a fake place. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Hell is a very real place. Now, I have to tell you this in verse 25. And before I say this, I have to urge you, bind this on your heart. What I'm about to say. Bind it on your heart. Bind it on your mind. What the Lord teaches us here in verse 25. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. That's why I say, bind this on your heart. Bind this in your mind. Because there are good things in accordance with the world. The fancy, you know, like it says here, the purple and fine linen, the sumptuous living. That's the world. And likewise, Lazarus, evil things. And this evil things translates as to intrinsically worthless. Zero value to the wealthy. Have you ever bought a new car that's like, say, $15,000? You're like, wow, look at this new car. I spent $15,000 for this new car. And then you go and talk to a wealthy guy. And he's like, man, I, I pay that for my blue jeans. You pay 15000 for your, you know, brand new car. I pay 15000 for, you know, these pair of pants. And you look at the fabric of the pants, you know, a nice coat. You look at the fabric and it is nicely woven. Hand stitched. That's what he says here. Lazarus, evil things. Not evil like, you know, bad, but intrinsically worthless to the wealthy. You talk to a wealthy person about your financial woes, he'll laugh at you. She'll laugh at you. That's nothing. Oh, what I can do with $5,000. What I can do with $10,000. That's a night on the town for some people. It's a matter of the heart. It's not about the wallet. He says, in your lifetime, you receive good things and likewise, Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. What's the rich guy's name? Nobody knows. In this world, you read financial periodicals, you read financial websites, all these things. They'll talk about, wow, look at this savvy investor. Look at this wealthy guy. Look at this wealthy guy. But who will, who will even name the name of the, the poor guy on the street? Who will even name the person who has to ride his bike to work, ride his or her bike to work? Because he can't afford a car. 
And by the way, verse 26, and besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, a chasm that exists so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. The choices that you make in life today will determine your eternal standing point. The choices you make today will impact your eternity. Choices in this life will impact the life to come. Be very, very, very careful with money. Because as much as you say, wow, look at my bank account. Look how much money I own. Money can own you. Money can own you. He says this, then he said, I beg you, therefore. Notice the reversal here. The rich man would never beg in the world when he was wearing his purple and fine linen and he fared sumptuously every day his luxurious living. He'd be dead before he begged. But now, when they're both dead in the physical, out of their earth suits, verse 27, he becomes the beggar. I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Send Lazarus to my family, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Send Lazarus. I don't want my family to be here in hell, burning. Places where the Pope says is a fake place. There's no such thing as hell. That false teacher. Protestant pastors who say hell is a fictitious place. False teachers in Vancouver, Washington. But yet here this former rich guy in the world is begging now. Send Lazarus to my family. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. You know, is scripture even a known thing to these people? And he said, no, Father Abraham. But if one goes, if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. That's what the rich guy is saying. They'll repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. We live in a day today where we have Moses, the prophets, and one who did rise from the dead. Where is repentance? Where is repentance? Remember, God's economy is not of this world. Not of this world. How he teaches us. Also, Turn with me to Luke 21. Luke 21. In Luke 21, verse 1. You know, what's interesting here in, in, in Luke 21 about this, what the Lord is about to teach us here. When you read the Gospels in chronological order, it's very interesting because, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ is with the disciples. 
And they come to this place across the street from the temple and they're just observing. So it's, it's kind of like picture like across the parking lot. You know, there's a picture, there's a temple there. And the Lord is just standing there and he's with the disciples and they're just observing these things happen. And he starts to describe what's happening here. So in verse one says, and he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury or a collection box. So the rich people were doing all these things, putting their money into the collection box. And he saw also a certain poor widow. I, I can't wait to meet this woman. I don't even know who she is. I don't know what she looks like. I know she's a widow, but wow, she's so beautiful. I can't wait to meet her. During the wet, the marriage feast, you guys will be eating and having this beautiful meal. But I swear I'm going to be like a little butterfly all over the place. I want to meet these people. I want to embrace them. This poor widow, I want to give her a hug. You know, in a predominantly male culture, picture these rich people putting all their money in and in the line of people is all men. But then you have this woman there, not dressed nicely. Remember, in accordance with the law, you know, the brother, the dead husband's brother would have married her. Maybe there was a brother who says, I'm not going to marry you. Maybe there was a brother. Maybe there was no brother. Remember, the males were like the bread earners. And here, you know, you have this poor widow who's now exalted by Jesus Christ. It says, and he saw also a certain poor widow Putting in two mites translates as a lepta, which is a very, very small copper coin. So you picture these wealthy people coming in. Maybe they have the heavy coins, you know, the clunk clunk of the heavy coins. Maybe they come in with their big money bags and drop them at the collection box. But then you have this poor picture like a dime. You know, what sound would you hear if a dime went into a collection box? You'd probably know, man, that was either a dime or a penny. You know, it was nothing. And you hear the little clunk, clunk. Clink, clink from the little beggar. Everybody's in line with their nice clothes, nice shoes. You know, everything's fancy, fancy cars in the parking lot. And then you hear you have this poor woman coming in. And she rode the bus. She has her little bus pass. Verse 3. So he said. Truly I say to you. That this poor widow has put in more than all. Not more than one. Not more than two. Not more than three. More than everybody. More than all. You see it's not about the money. It's 100% about the heart. And the Lord says in verse four, for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. It's like, you know, have you ever paid all your bills and say you have, you know, at the end of the month, you have, you know, 300 bucks left over. You've paid everything. Everything's been paid. All your bills, everything. You have food in the fridge and $300 is left over. And you say, okay, I'm going to give, you know, 10 bucks, 10 bucks to the Lord. Write a check for 10 bucks or go online, you know, $10. 
and then you know two hundred ninety dollars i'm gonna go out and you know have a gay old time yeah i say gay old time in you know the classical connotation go out and spend all this money go out watch movies eat dinner eat breakfast eat lunch do all kinds of crazy things with the excess that's what the Lord is saying here. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she, this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful woman, a widow, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood she had. Her little two mites. It's easy to give when it doesn't hurt. It's so, so, so easy to give. I mean, sometimes it's hard. But what about when it hurts? What about when you give and you're like, whoa. And the Lord is saying she gave out of her poverty. She, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood that she had. You see what I mean? God's economy, it's totally different from the world. A savvy financial advisor wouldn't even, wouldn't even advise, you know, depending on your tax status. You know, there are nice uh, tax implications behind charitable contributions. But depending on your tax status, it's if you're poor, it's nothing. Take the standard deduction. 1040 EZ. But you know, it blows me away because it's like, you see how contrary this is to the carnal mind? Who in their right mind would do this? Who in their right mind in poverty give all that they had? It's not a right mind in accordance with the world. It's a righteous mind. And the Lord makes a beautiful, beautiful example about her. Look, you guys, look at her. Remember, in chronological order, the, the disciples, they're standing there with Jesus. And they're watching, they're observing. Everybody walk in with their money bags and dump, dump money into the collection box. And they're across the street. And the Lord is saying, you see that widow over there? Truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all. God's economy is radically different. Now, in closing, turn with me to Malachi chapter 4. Or Malachi chapter 3. Sorry about that. Malachi 3. Verse 8. Will a man rob God? You know what's interesting in the Hebrew? This also translates as, will a man defraud God? These are heavy, heavy words. Heavy, heavy words. You know, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me! Exclamation point. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? 
in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. No tithes, no offering. And the Lord is saying, hey, you're robbing me. You're defrauding me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. In verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. Also translates as, and test me now. Test me now in this. Very, very, very few times in the holy word of God. Very few. Will you ever hear the Lord say, test me? A lot of times you'll hear him say, don't test me. Don't you dare test me in this. But when it comes to giving, when it comes to tithes and offering, the Lord is saying, test me. Very rare for him to even utter those words. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open, and translates as open wide, if I will not open wide for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. You remember what we read in Amos 4? Look at verse 11 here now. It says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. These are the words of our Lord. <clears throat> We're going to get into, remember, this is an introduction into Acts chapter 5. And you're going to see wickedness in the church. And you're going to see what the Lord does. And so, you know, I wanted to take a time where we say, hey, you know what? Let's look at money. Let's discuss money as an introduction into Acts 5 because you know what? It has nothing to do with the wallet. It has nothing to do with the greenback. Nothing at all. But it has everything to do with the heart. I'm going to pause it and we're, uh, say officially we're going to end our study here.